yeah, let's unpack that. Alright guys, um, welcome I guess to episode one of Let's Unpack That, um, where I will be discussing all things mental illness, bipolar, being a bit of a crazy bitch, business, being an entrepreneur and I don't know, whatever else I'm going to want to dribble on about. Well, okay, this could be an absolute shit show guys, uh, I have no idea what I'm doing really um, and anyone that knows me loves knows that I love to blabble on, but we'll see, we'll see how we go. Hey, this is episode one, only can go up from here. Um, but yeah, thank you for tuning in to episode one. Uh, for those that don't know, this podcast is actually funny, uh, but we can laugh now, um, came into fruition because I was having like this hypermanic episode, like probably almost manic. And I was like up at 2am cleaning my room, could not see mind racing in a million hours, a million miles an hour. And had this euphoric idea to start a podcast. So when you're a bit manic or hypermanic, you are so euphoric, so elated. Every idea you have is just the best idea in the whole entire world. My mind was racing for literally two hours about who I can interview, what I can talk about, the potential and this and that. And so by 4am, I'd ordered hundreds of dollars worth of podcast equipment. Anyway, once I come down from that, I was like, what the fuck? Do I ever want to start a podcast? I was like, Tyler, that was a bit... Why have we done that? Why have you done that, Tyler? <laughs> um, but then I spoke about it on my Instagram and I got so much good feedback and a lot of people wanted to know what it was like living with mental illness, um, how you can help your friends and family with mental illness or bipolar. Some people wanted to know about my life and business. and um, So I, anyway, I've decided to go through with it. Let's see how this goes. Um, even if I can help one person listening, I guess it'll be a manic episode that was worth it. <laughs> um, so yeah. Uh, a little bit about me, if you don't know who I am, I'm assuming you're all going to be coming from my Instagram, but anyway, I'm 24, uh, I'm from Kalgoorlie, uh, I've left and coming back over the years, as you do, cracked the shits with the red dirt and moved to Melbourne, but now I'm back, and I am loving it. So I'm a full-time gold prospector in Kalgoorlie, I run my own business as well, which is a online membership, so people pay me a monthly fee and I help them become a gold prospector and learn about gold and metal detecting and all the cool stuff. And then I also do a little bit of work on a TV show. Uh, it's very random, I know. Very, very random. But anyway, I'm going to dive straight into it. Otherwise, I'm going to sit here and blabble on all day. Um, I did put on my Instagram a Q&A about what you guys wanted me to talk about. Was how did I get diagnosed? So the whole first episode is going to be a little bit of a background on my story. Uh, a little bit about bipolar, uh, helping loved ones with mental illness and all that kind of stuff. And then episodes two and three are going to be the Q&A because I tried to do the Q&A with like my diagnosis and my story in it and it was like went for like 33 hours so I've had to come back to the situation and this is the plan um all right guys one more question that I do need to answer uh, is the name why have I called this let's unpack that and it's actually because um two of my Melbourne friends shout out Indian Claire love you guys um Whenever I ring them and I'm like, oh my God, this is happening. Or like, oh my God, guess what happened last night? Or, oh my God, I just did this. Their response is always, okay, let's unpack that. So let's talk about it. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to unpack bipolar today or my bipolar or my experiences with bipolar. So let's get straight into it and start unpacking. Uh, and also just quickly, like I am not the poster child for bipolar. I really don't actually know what I'm doing. I'm completely winging this. Um, I still have days where I wake up and go, oh, wow, I've actually made that all up. I'm 
I'm actually quite fine and I'll take myself off my meds and then I'll quickly get a reality check um, and I'll go no wait I am bipolar better start taking my lithium again but anyway I'm just going to literally get straight into it. So for those of you who are unsure what bipolar is, um, it's a mood disorder characterized by, by extreme highs and extreme lows. So there are two types of bipolar which are differentiated by the severity of the high. Type 2 experience extreme lows and hypermania, whereas type 1 experience extreme lows paired with mania. Mania and hypermania share the same symptoms, though hypermania is a less severe version of mania and usually lasts a little, doesn't last as long as mania. Um, so during hypermania, it is still possible for the most part to function with somewhat normality throughout your day, uh, whereas mania almost makes that impossible. So yeah, functioning as per usual is extremely hard with mania. Um, but yeah, they're the same symptoms. It's just the severity of them. So that's the difference between type one and two. I'm bipolar type one. And to be diagnosed with bipolar type one, you have to have at least one manic episode lasting a week. Um, that manic episode I will talk to you about. Um, but yeah, I experience hypermania a lot more frequently than I experienced mania. I've only had probably two or three proper manic episodes in my life. Um, but yeah, so depressive symptoms include loss of interest and pleasure in activities enjoyed before. Uh, overwhelming sadness it is like so overwhelming it's just like this massive black cloud on top of your head and there's just no way out of it um, but withdrawing from friends and avoiding social activities ceasing self-care tasks like shopping and showering changes to appetite and sleep patterns so for me when I'm depressed I'll sleep 16 hours a day and then have three naps um, lack of concentration extreme tiredness Oh, and like I lose my memory completely when I'm like that. It's like your brain is just full of fog. Like I used to work at a pub and I would serve someone a beer. And by the time I got to the till to put the beer through, I'd have to ask them what beer I poured them. So it's just like so foggy. Development of, development of false beliefs and delusions. Uh, a heap of guilt, extreme sense of worthlessness. Worthlessness is one of the hardest symptoms, I think. You really just do believe that you are worth nothing and your life is worth nothing it's not a very nice place to be um and then of course harmful alcohol and drug use so that's depression um which i think like those symptoms are pretty well known but mania doesn't really get spoken about as much so manic symptoms oh and like for me as well I am a very extroverted person I'm a type a extroverted Sagittarius I am full-on so I feel like some of these symptoms are actually just my personality type uh <laughs> but like and then I'll have a like a hypermanic episode or a manic episode and it's like oh no this is different um it's it's really like I hope everyone's over 18 but it's really like being on some kind of street drug so they include elevated mood you feel so high, elated, euphoric, full of energy. It's like feeling on top of the world, like invincible. Every feeling you have, every thought you have is the best. Increased energy and overactivity. Reduced need for sleep. So you can go off like one or two hours sleep a night and be fine. Irritability, massive symptom for me. Um, you get angry and irritable with people who disagree or dismiss there's sometimes your sometimes unrealistic plans and ideas and for me as well my brain's going at a million miles an hour so if you're going at normal speed which seems super slow for me it's like what you're so annoying keep up why can't you keep up with me 
rapid thinking and speech. Thoughts are really rapid, so you change subjects in conversations very quickly, jump from topic to topic, talk extremely fast. That's a big one for me. Oh, actually, I'm going to say this about all of them, but this next one is a big one for me. Oh, my God. Um, But recklessness. So um, you have a reduced ability to foresee certain um, consequences. Literally, your actions don't have consequences. Everything in your head is justified. I just cannot explain it to you, but you just don't have any idea of consequences. Like you, they just don't, it doesn't come into your head. It's bizarre. So like spending lots of money, using your credit card, um, even things like having sex without protection or sex with lots of people or just doing things that when you're not manic, you would think, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this because this would happen. And you just don't have that ability. And then there's grandoise plans and beliefs. So it's common for people experiencing mania to believe that they are usually t- unusually talented or gifted or kings or film stars or prime ministers. It's like a God complex. It really is. Um, and then lack of insight. So for people experiencing mania, you don't really recognize that your behavior is inappropriate. You don't see that you're being the loudest and craziest in the room. But for people around you, they can definitely see that. You can be inappropriate, reckless, irrational. And yeah, so like I said before, manic... Mania is diagnosed when symptoms have been present for a week or longer. Hypermania is a less severe, is less severe and may have shorter duration. So they're the symptoms. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty crazy, hey, like to go from mania so high and on top of the world and then flip straight into that depressive low. It's a very scary thing to happen to you. But on a personal level, it's a very hard experience to explain if you have not experienced it. Both, the depression and mania, both hard to explain to someone that doesn't understand or hasn't felt it themselves because it's a feeling they would have never felt. Um, but the high is like nothing a street drug can compare to. And then you switch to feeling so low that the only escape out of that dark place is just not being alive anymore. So like I said, switching between those two mental states can be very, very, very scary, especially because... For me, when I'm in one of those states, I can't recognize the person in the other state or my normal, you know, my normal mood. So like when I'm really high, I cannot relate to the depressed Tyler or the normal Tyler. And then when I'm really low, I just cannot even fathom that any other Tylers exist or not Tylers, but like any other moods exist. So like I've written like goodbye letters and then come out of the depressive low and read them and gone what are you thinking about Tyler that is insane I don't feel like that at all why would you write that and then I start to question which of my feelings are real which of the me's is really me am I making this up or am I really feeling this is this a normal way to react to a life situation or am I having an episode am I wild impulsive chaotic energetic or am I manic am I sad doomed withdrawn or am I depressed this is something that I've always struggled with and something that I will probably continue to struggle with for the rest of my life um yeah I've become quite comfortable that bipolar is not necessarily curable but it is manageable so uh like I said one of the biggest questions I get asked is how did I get diagnosed um I'm not going to go into every detail uh because it was a drawn out period of my life uh yeah and uh I'm sure you guys don't want to sit here for 37 hours and listen to my voice but I'm going to run through the basics Um, So before I started experiencing mental illness, I was one of those people that thought anxious people just needed to stop worrying, you know, like chill out, dude, take a chill pill. And that depressed people needed to be happier. Like, dude, your life's not that bad. Put a smile on your dial. 
But yeah, mental illness is one of those things that is so hard to comprehend if you have not experienced it yourself. Like your life experiences form your opinions. Um, so if you haven't had these experiences, it's, it's fucking hard. Or if, also people who have helped loved ones through their battles can probably relate as well. But between the ages of 17 and 19, I started to develop anxious feelings. Uh, I definitely never identified them as that at the time. But yeah, this was the time I started dating my ex. Shout out. Um, I won't go into this too deeply because it's not my story to tell. It's his. But um, he started experiencing some pretty severe mental health issues. Um, So his welfare was always put as the priority. And at the time, I developed a coping mechanism called emotional detachment. So I have this amazing ability, go me, to detach completely from any negative feeling and convince myself that I will be fine. So when we're going through this hard time, it is so hard to, it's so frustrating to watch someone you love so much be not okay, but refuse help. It is one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. I just had to sit there and watch him go through this and just hope that one day he wanted to fix it. So I really do feel for you if you are going through that. It's, it's hard. Stick, stick with it. Um, but look after your mental health while you're doing it. And he's a male as well, so there's that massive stigma around, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And he just was not fine. And you can take a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But yeah, anyway, so I have this great ability. I reckon like, honestly, as soon as I get an overwhelming feeling or a negative feeling, my brain refuses to feel it. It just shuts it out completely. I reckon I could go literally go right my car off right now and I'd be like, no, I'm fine. No, I'm all good. Let's, what's for dinner? Do you guys want to get a drink? It's um, something that I'm working on. <laughs> I'm sure it's great in some situations, but girl, you, you need to actually um, yeah, face, your, face your emotions someday, Ty. But that paired with a lot of binge drinking and taking party drugs, uh, you know, partying as you do, that began to trigger my symptoms. So all a mixture of these things started to um, really show, yeah, my mental illness. But uh, doctors are unsure exactly what causes bipolar. They believe a mixture of genetics, chemicals in the brain and external triggers cause it. I think for me, it's definitely a mixture of all of the above. I think I've always had it kind of sitting there. I think there's some chemicals in my brain that don't want to play. Uh, and then, yeah, this paired with some life stresses and alcohol and all that kind of stuff just brought it to the forefront. But at 19, me and my ex, my ex and I, moved to Melbourne by ourselves so I could pursue, pursue my business and plans and modelling. Yeah, we moved all by ourselves. We had no family or friends over there. I think like Monday, I got a message from a modeling agency who was like, yeah, we're interested in you, but you need to be living in Melbourne. So then by the Friday, me and Jack had moved. No, the Monday next week we'd moved. We were in our cars. We were gone. Um, He he was very, very supportive of that. I I do appreciate that, Jack, if you are listening. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So by 20, I was managing a pretty big venue in Melbourne. We were very busy. We took in a lot of revenue. Shout out College One Hotel. If you're ever in Melbourne, go get a beer there. I love that place. Miss you. I was also running my jewellery business deep into the negative side of modelling. Oh, I won't go into that, but oh my God. We were struggling financially because we were paying like $3,000 rent a day in Melbourne and plus all the other adult things you have to pay in life. Extreme body and food issues. I was working out like nine or 10 times a week living off steamed vegetables. And then we are far away from all our support systems. And obviously, I was also helping uh, my ex through his mental health issues. 
So at the time, I didn't recognize it, but all of these life stresses mixed with partying, not feeling my emotions, um, it just started triggering me. And like at the time, I just didn't realize it. And I still look back now and it's like, Tyler, there's people out there curing cancer or performing brain surgery. There's people out there whose life is so much more stressful than you. Your life is really not that stressful. Like you should know how to pour a beer at a pub without having an anxiety attack. So that played into it as well. I refused to admit there was a problem because I was just like, my life's fine. Get over yourself. But it was during the two two and a half years, nearly three years I spent in Melbourne where I experienced my first proper depressive episode and my first ever manic episode. Yeah, so the depressive episode lasted five months and was a very dark time in my life. Um, it was also paired with huge amounts of anxiety and of paranoia. At the, th- at the time, I just thought who it was. Oh, God. At the time, I just thought it was who I was. I had no idea that it was depression and anxiety. It n- never really came to the forefront of my mind. I probably knew deep down something wasn't quite right and I wasn't okay, but I never admitted it to myself and I never admitted it to the people around me. I just wanted it to go away and not be true. But I had a constant... Uh, I had constant suicide ideations, no energy, no motivation, oversleeping, lack of concentration, bad memory, extreme guilt surrounding everything, huge amounts of worthlessness. And then I had a heap of anxiety with this. Uh, And it it was hard because I was working quite a full on job and playing netball and running my business, modeling. I I had a lot going on. One of the things I remember from that time in my life is not literally not remembering what it felt like to be happy. It's like I did not have a drop of serotonin in my brain. It was gone. It it had checked out. So the people around me though, like I seemed fine because I was so used to putting on this front and being so detached from my feelings. I was very good at acting like everything was great. Like I said, at this time I had a horrible relationship with my body and food due to the modeling industry. I was working out nine times a week and living off steamed vegetables. I remember one time I ordered a salad at a restaurant and it came out with dressing on it and I cried. <laughs> Shouldn't laugh. It's not, it's really not funny. Uh, and then like this other time I ate an Oreo and cried. I was like, oh, I'm worthless. So I honestly believe that my self-worth was determined by how good I was at my job. So how much praise I was getting at work, how well my business was going, so how much I was selling and how skinny I was. I literally believed that if I wasn't skinny and I wasn't doing well in work, I was worthless. I did not deserve to be alive. All of my self-worth was connected to those three things. I didn't have any internal self-worth. So it was at this time I started to recognize physical symptoms like oversleeping and extreme tiredness. Uh, I had convinced myself that I was actually anemic. So I booked myself into the GP for some blood tests the GP uh yeah I have really low iron I'm so tired I can't get out of bed in the mornings so we had the test and then I came back and she was like Tyler the tests are fine you're not anemic I was like excuse me B12 she's like fine she's like literally everything's fine I was like okay girl well we're gonna have to rerun the test because you're wrong can't get out of bed in the mornings and I'm napping for three hours a day and she was the first person ever and she turned around to me and she said How's your mental health been? And it hit me like a fucking brick wall. And I just started crying. I was like, I don't know, maybe maybe it's not been great. Sometimes I get a little bit of anxiety, I think. Sometimes I feel a bit anxious. So she booked me in 
No, she didn't. She gave me a referral for a psych. So in Australia, you get 10 free, not 10 free, like 10 subsidized sessions through Medicare. So she gave me my referral and I left and I went and sat in the car and I was like, that was so dramatic. I can't believe you just told her that. Get over yourself. You're ridiculous. And I feel for anyone at that stage, anyone that's at that stage in their mental health journey, like the denial at the start and the finally admitting it and the freshness of it always the hardest stage. You're literally starting at the bottom. That bit is the hardest. So if you're at that stage, I promise you it gets easier. I promise, I promise. Please stick with it. Please. But anyway, because I had told myself I was making it up because your life's fine, I didn't go see the psych. Months went by with me telling myself I was making it all up. I was fine. Like I said, I think deep down I knew something was wrong, but I just had this whole, I just put on like a fake facade. Is that a word? Facade? No, facade, that's it. I, <laughs> I was fine and I just refused to admit it to anyone that I wasn't. And I think to everyone else, I would have seemed not depressed or anxious. I would have just seemed super irritable, super snappy, super short with everyone, not an enjoyable person. So you probably wouldn't have picked up on, if you weren't really like trained or knew what you're looking for, you wouldn't have picked up on a mental illness. You would have just gone, fucking hell, she needs to take a chill pill. Oh my God, she's so moody. She's so irritable. So it was hard for people around me to get me help because... I didn't really seem super sad or anything. I just seemed, yeah, moody and stressed. But months went by and then I started to experience my first manic episode, which consisted of extreme recklessness, overspending, partying, racing thoughts, so much irritability, feeling invincible and hallucinations. Um, And like extreme paranoia. Oh my God, this one time, right? I was at the traffic lights leaving work 3 a.m. I was sober and in hindsight the guy next to me was probably rolling a cigarette or I don't know his phone or some shit but I convinced myself he was loading a gun not funny it's not funny but I convinced himself I convinced myself he's trying to kill me so I ran the red light and like sped home and I went home a different way because I was convinced he was following me to kill me and I didn't really click that that was wrong and wasn't actually happening till god months and months and months and months later um so this is the point where my ex was like something's wrong you need to see a psych so I was went back to her and I got diagnosed with anxiety and depression and then I never went back I was just like I don't know how to describe it when you're in that stage it's just like I just don't want to I just don't want to see a psych I can't tell you why don't know why don't know why I stopped going I just did not want to do it I didn't want to admit that there was an issue So then over the next couple of years after that, I would switch between hypermania, mania, depression. It was just this endless cycle. And I got so used to feeling everything so deeply. People with bipolar feel emotions so deeply. We have an acute capacity for sadness and acute ability for elation. And that was my normal. Feeling everything so deeply was my normal. And when I would come out of the depressive episodes, I'd be like, oh my God, I'm fixed. What was that, Tyler? That was bizarre. I'm fixed. I'm fine. When in reality, I wasn't. It's always fine till it's not. And then and I would get so often like, Tyler, I was just joking. Don't take things so personally. Wow, you're on edge. Take a joke. Wow, lighten up. And these types of comments to people with bipolar are so counterproductive because the way you have an emotional reaction to a situation is so different to how we react. We feel everything so deeply. And it's not helping. 
I know that I'm overreacting. I know that I'm edgy. I know that I'm not me. So you saying that is just making me feel even more shit. A good example is um, I was, my head was going a million miles an hour. I was go, 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 go. I was in the kitchen and my head just would not shut up. And so I'm like fighting all these demons in my head. I'm trying to keep it together. And then Jack dropped a plate. My ex dropped a plate in the kitchen and I just turned around. I was like, oh my fucking God, can you be any more louder? Which was horrible. But in return, he was like, what the fuck's wrong with you? Oh my God, you're so moody. And it turned into this massive fight. And what would have really helped at the time if he had just not said anything, left the room, left me to calm down for a couple of hours and then come back later and gone to me, Tyler, I don't appreciate being spoken to like that. Are you okay? That's not normal for you. What's going on in your head? Why have you reacted like that? And that would have helped so much because I know, you know, at the time you're overreacting, you know, at the time that you shouldn't speak to someone you love like that, but you just can't control it. You don't have any control of it. So just giving someone space and letting them calm down and asking them, are they okay? Helps so much. Jack asking me, okay, used to calm me down because it, made me feel like I wasn't fighting the demons in my head alone anymore felt like I had support I'm not you I'm not saying if someone's got bipolar let them treat you like shit whatsoever god no I shouldn't speak to people like that but responding from a place of empathy and understanding helps a lot but yeah my ex was definitely the person copying the brunt of my illness he probably would have been the only person that could probably tell that something wasn't right and at the end of 2018 he told me that I should get help or he would leave so I went to a psychologist who was the first person to ever Say, yeah, I think you got bipolar, Tyler. But I didn't go back for months. I was like, oh my God. Again, it's just this cycle. I don't know why. I'm sure there's people that can relate, but I just did not want help. I then finally went back to him and he referred me to see a psychiatrist so I could probably be diagnosed. You have to see a psychiatrist to be diagnosed with bipolar. I then went and saw the psychiatrist. Oh, yeah. I then went and um, saw him, her a couple times, sorry, and was definitely in denial. I was resisting it at every single turn. But I think that has a lot to do with the stigmas surrounding mental health. But then a switch finally flicked in me and I was like, okay, oh my God, I'm finally going to do something about this. I'm finally like done. I just don't want to feel like this anymore. You don't have to live a life feeling like that. And I realized that I just wanted to be happy and I wanted to be able to control my moods. So after six years on this journey, oh my God, it's exhausting even just talking about it. I finally started to turn a corner. Um... Yeah, I just feel like until you're truly ready to do something about it, it's just not going to happen. And that's why I'm so lucky I had people stay by my side and support me and encouraged me through the fucking hard times. But I was put on lithium, so I take 750 milligrams a day, which really helps with the highs. Not as much with the lows, like it definitely takes the edge off, but um, it really helps with the highs. About that time, so God, that was probably like a year and a half ago, I think year ago anyway I was uh back in Perth and I was working as a full-time as an events manager well I was actually casual but working a few out a lot of hours um and yeah I was running four different businesses that's my mania coming through literally guys I start every time I have a manic episode or a hypermanic episode I start a new fucking business and then like I'll come off it and it's I'm too stubborn to let anything fail so <laughs> Yeah, because just when you're like that, you just have all these amazing ideas and I'm naturally a bit of a go-getter. So I have these ideas and I'm like, well, now I'm going to make this happen.
I was also fostering dogs, playing netball, traveling a lot, bit of financial pressure, wasn't really happy in my relationship and I was not taking my meds properly. Well, I took myself off lithium because I thought it was making me boring, <laughs> which is like <laughs> in hindsight, not very clever, but I was like, girl, I'd rather be crazy than boring. But yeah, no, 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 no. I've learned that. That is wrong. But because of this, I started experiencing a mixed state or agitated depression. So actually, I missed a bit. Because of that, I went into a pretty bad depressive episode for two months. I'd wake up every day and was like, I just don't want to be alive. Could not think of one reason to be alive. I remember being at work one time and I was like, I just don't care. I just don't want to be alive. I, I'm sure if I died, my friends and family would be sad. But the sun will still rise. The world will still spin. People will still go to work. Like I'm just a bit of meat floating on this rock in space. I just don't know. I just could not think of any reason I wanted to live. But then on the back of that, I started, yeah, to have a bit of a um, mixed state. So it's really hard to explain if you haven't experienced it. It's mania and depression at the same time. It's like at the same time having the will to die, but the motivation to make it happen. It's a very dangerous place to be. It's tearfulness plus racing thoughts. Guilt and fatigue plus recklessness and irritability. So it's like walking late at night trying to get hurt or trying to run into trouble. It's, it's like trying to explain the holy trinity. It's having three persons in one body. And they're constantly fighting. It's a constant argument in your head. It's constantly being torn between self-destruction and self-improvement. It was a very hard time. It was very confusing. It's exhausting. It's just your brain is not a nice place. Your head is not a nice place to be. But this was definitely a turning point for how I treated my mental health. Uh, I was actually at a music festival when my best mates and I had a tiny little argument with my best mate. It was over absolutely nothing. Um, and I was like, fuck this. And I just like tripped out. I was run off from the music festival. I ran into some bushland by myself and I was wanted to run into trouble. I was like, I hope someone is in this bushland that wants to kill me. I hope it happens. I was trying to run into trouble. I was just like crying in this bushland by myself in the middle of the night. And there was no one there. There was no one bad in that bush. Thank God. But I went home, took myself home. This is when I self-harmed for the first time. So self-harming is like a coping mechanism for me. Uh... It's hard to explain why you'd want to cut to someone who's never had those thoughts. But for me, it's the only thing that shuts my mind up, shuts the constant war up. Uh, it's a coping mechanism I struggle with to this day, but I've worked on a lot with my psych and to try not to relapse back into that place. But yeah, um, and actually that night my partner walked in on me self-harming, which I can imagine would be very confronting but yeah he kind of said I can't really deal with this anymore um obviously I wasn't a very easy person to live with but yeah our, our relationship ended I got a job on Parker's Trail and yeah things kind of took a turn because of me getting a job on Parker's Trail I did not want my mental health to impact such a great opportunity so I started seeing my psych regularly started taking my meds properly before I left, I put in a lot of work with my psych to ensure I had coping mechanisms just in case my mental health took a turn for the worst whiles away. I learned that it is so important to continue to see your psych whilst you are in 
hashtag the normal state because this is when you create habits and coping mechanisms so when it does take a turn for the worst you're prepared i know what it's like i know when you're i don't want to keep calling it normal but in like a healthy mental state i just don't want to see psych i'm just like i, just, I don't need it i'm fine but this is when you do need to see them because this is when you create habits and you create those coping me- mechanisms so when it gets bad you have you have things in place to help Uh, but yeah, the three filming lasted three months and it didn't, my mental health didn't impact my work. Um, I made sure I reach out to friends that I had that I was working with. I made friends with them and let them know what was going on. People will help you if you let them in. Like some of the people on Parker's Trail, absolute legends and they're still my friends to this day and pe- people are pretty bloody good. If they, if you want help, they'll help you. You just got to let them. But some of the coping mechanisms I have in place during a depressive episode and I know, like, when I'm depressed, these are the last things I want to go do. Like, I know I'll be laying in bed so sad. And I know if I get up and go outside, I'll feel better. But I actually just don't want to. I'm like, why the fuck would I want to do that? I'm fine laying in bed. It's like your brain doesn't want to help itself. But it's like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it gets. So going outside, showering, journaling, seeing a friend, trying something new, getting at least one chore done, crying it out, love a good cry, cooking a meal, Things like that. I know you don't want to do it at the time, but God, it helps. So they're very different from the coping mechanisms I have when I'm hypermanic or manic. So these things include slowing down, listening to others. If you're out with your friends and they're telling you you're acting like an absolute fucking spastic, listen to them. Don't go off your meds. Tyler, you aren't boring. (laughs) Please keep taking your lithium. Try to rest. No permanent decisions. Oh, my God. Hashtag why I have a bunch of (laughs) horrible tattoos. I love them. But yeah, no permanent decisions when you're like that. No drugs or drinking. Waiting to make big life choices. No coffee. Thinking before you speak. I don't overschedule. Try not to anyway. Um, And then when I'm like that, I get so like spiritual and I feel like I know the meaning to life. And I feel like I'm connected to some other spiritual realm. So it actually really helps when I'm like that to eat a burger, watch the Kardashians and just relax. But everyone's coping mechanisms are different and it's so important to be aware of what works for you and creating habits of them when you are okay to make sure that if your mental health takes a dive, you're better equipped. Running a business or having a job with mental illness can be bloody hard. So I make sure that when I'm having a bad day, and have zero motivation to get anything done. I have a to-do list of three things. It's the absolute bare minimum. It's not going to project my business any further. But it's going to make sure it stays afloat till I'm back. Um, it's literally three things. Uh, and I get them done. Make sure they're done. And then the guilt stops. And I can lay in bed all day and do nothing else. But yeah, when I was um, struggling with chronic suicidal ideation. I really could not think of one reason to live. One thing that has helped me through that, uh, it sounds pretty like cliche, but I've realized you really do need to live for the moments. So not just the massive moments, like, I don't know, curing cancer or running a marathon, but like the little moments of what is, what is worth living for. If I had ended my life last year, I would have never had Thai food with my best mate a couple of weeks ago. We had the best time. I felt genuinely happy that night. If I'd ended my life last year, I would have never had a phone call with my cousin the other day and just like hearing about her life, me talking shit about mine. Or if like I had ended my life last year, 
I would have never had a phone call with one of my best mates who lives in Melbourne and she just vented about some issues going on in her life and I got off the phone and I was like, oh God, I'm glad to have her. I would have never had that moment. I would have never got that moment. And I know when you're really depressed, like you're not going to sit there and go, I'm going to stay alive because I'm going to have a phone call with my best mate in a couple of weeks. Just because that actually honestly sounds ridiculous, but you just do not care about that. But I promise you, there will always be one more moment that is worth living for. There will always be one more moment that you sit there and go, God, I am so glad I was alive for this. So now when I'm down, I just live for those little moments. I sit there and I go, fuck, I feel like shit. But there'll be a moment that I go, I'm grateful to be here. And it might be like eating your mum's favorite spaghetti for, for one more time or I don't know, seeing, I don't know, having kids and seeing your daughter play with its dad. I don't know. There's, but I promise there's always going to be one more moment, even when it doesn't feel like it. Um, but yeah. One more thing I wanted to talk about is the stigmas surrounding bipolar and mental illness. It makes it so much harder to get diagnosed and get on top of shit because of these stigmas. And I still struggle with them. Three that I have personally really struggled with is, uh, well, I have a perfect life, perfect childhood. What reason do I have to be sad? I just need to get over it. It's not, I live in Australia. I live in a first world country. I have an education. I'm privileged. Get over yourself. You're fine. Um, the next one is you are making this up for attention. I don't know why this is. And I've spoken to other people who struggle with it. But I just feel like sometimes I'm making it up to get attention off people. Um, and then the last one is you're just moody, crazy, can't handle life stresses. Learn to deal with life a little bit better, hey? Obviously, there's a lot more than these three. But these are the three that really held me back from admitting I have a problem. Um, I promise you, if you're having any anxious or depressed or any thoughts that aren't usually aren't normal for you, they're valid. I promise you, the way you're feeling is validated. Don't think that you don't deserve to feel like that because if you're having those feelings, they're validated. Um, like mental illness, you can't control. Like, God, if it was a choice, I would not bloody choose to have <laughs> these horrible intrusive thoughts. I would not choose to feel like this. It's so important to be kind to yourself and life is too short to not get your health sorted and it's too bloody short not to get your mental health sorted god i can't can't imagine living a life where i hadn't got it fixed it just there's life has so much more potential when you just get on top of your mental health it is too short not to it's too short uh god sorry a little bit off track then um but yeah so it's important as well, like, we just had Are You OK Day and I think Are You OK Day is amazing and it's so important to ask Are You OK? But it's the follow-up that's important. It's the questions after that that are important. If you have a friend who hasn't been acting like themselves or a partner or a loved one and they're acting moody or they're, they're like taking themselves away from social situations or they're acting like they wouldn't normally act instead of giving it the whole god they're acting crazy oh my god they're so moody oh my god they're so hard to be around try and respond from a place of empathy and understanding like people are going through shit everyone has their own shit if everyone just responded with a little bit of understanding the world would be a better place so things that help me if i reach out to someone and say hey i'm not really doing okay 
what what helps is if they one validate my emotions so saying things like oh it's okay mate things get better you're all right doesn't help you you just feel like even worse so validate their emotions offer support so say I've got your back I'm going to be here for you you're not going to have to go through this alone then ask what can I do can I come cook you some food can we go out for coffee can I book a psych appointment for you do you want me to help you with your emails let's get dinner and then the follow-up so a week later sending them an old memory of you guys or tagging them in a meme or tagging them in a funny video or a week later saying hey what's up want to get coffee hey what are you doing can I come over things like that are so important because when you're low I know that I have a support system I know that I have amazing friends and family that I can reach out to but you just don't feel like you do it's there's a big difference between knowing something and feeling something so it's so hard to continually remind yourself people care and you have that support system it's so hard so you reaching out and checking in and sending a random message oh it's the best feeling it's a reminder that you're not alone so I often also get asked if there's any benefits to bipolar. This is one of the big questions. As much as living with any mental illness is bloody hard, it requires a lot of courage and stamina. I actually don't think I would change it. I don't, if someone said to me, hey, we can get rid of your bipolar. I don't think I would, I don't think I would. I found like one of the benefits is the creativity. Mania is the most euphoric feeling. It's hard to explain. The energy, the creativity, the pure elation that comes with bipolar and a manic episode is where all of my best business ideas and plans and passions have been born. I wouldn't have any of my businesses if it wasn't from it. Without the mania, my life would be so different. Heaps of famous historic figures and artists have bipolar like Halsey, Jimi Jimi Hendrix, Demi Lovato, and they all literally say the exact same thing. All their best work has come out of a manic episode and has come out of hypermania and mania gives you a very 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 different perspective on the world as well so you we pour our emotions into everything we do and it has taught me so much empathy I feel like I'm a better friend because I've experienced depression I feel like I can relate to people and I care on a deep level because I know what it's like to feel alone although I I feel like at times I swap between feeling like this god and then switching to feeling like a complete slave I have I have it to thank for where I am today it's definitely a diamond in the soil speaking about it and owning it has helped me a lot I'm very very open and honest about it Um, being vulnerable strengthens relationships you can't form strong relationships without being vulnerable it's allowed me to connect with people on a completely different level uh, which in return makes me feel not alone I feel like people really appreciate you being open and honest with them it makes you more makes you more trustworthy it also means that my support system can support me like people cannot help you if they don't know what's going on they can't read minds you can't expect to not feel alone and for people to be there for you if they don't know what's going on so me talking about it gives them allows my support system to help <sighs> yeah um and I also do it as well because I'm hope I hope me being open and honest about it allows some people to be more comfortable with it for themselves and I'm hoping that me me talking about this gets one person to book into a psych or get someone living with a loved one with bipolar to react a bit differently to their episodes 
But before I wrap this up, guys, I want to end on three pieces of advice I would have given to my 20 year old self. And they reflect three different areas of my life, but hopefully one of them resonates with you. The first one, oh my God, being skinny is not a bloody personality trait, Tyler. Your friends are still going to like you if you gain some weight. I love like this, like no one remembers what Rosa Parks weight was when she died, but they definitely remembered what she did. People, people will remember how you make them feel. Um, and that extra 10 kilos you're going to gain, Tyler, is all the nights out with your friends, eating pizza with your parents and actually enjoying your life. Number two, there will always be one more moment that is worth being alive for, even when you can't see a light at the end of the table. That moment is coming because you're a bloody long time dead. And then three, this was a business quote that I absolutely love, but you can definitely apply it to life. Walk through every door that is opened for you. I'm very privileged. I'm very aware of that. I have had a lot of doors opened for me and I think it's so important to walk through them when you are. And I would rather live with an oh well moment than a what if. I'd rather go, ah well, I went and saw a psych, didn't like her. Or ah well, I started a business, didn't work out. Ah well, moved in with my boyfriend, didn't work out. Then what if I had done that? What if 30 years ago I'd seen a psych and got on top of it? What if I had started that business? But yes, guys. Oh my God. That's the first episode done. I hope you liked it. God, that this episode is just me blabbering by myself for like an hour. I guess that's what a podcast is. Anyway, hope you all enjoyed. Uh, if you don't already, follow me on Instagram, Tyler underscore M underscore Marnie. Subscribe. Give me some love if you want to. <laughs> um, but yeah, send me a message too if you have any questions or if you're struggling. My inbox is always open. I'm always here to chat. And if you are struggling with your mental health, please reach out to a loved one. Or please get in contact with with a psych. Or even if you are really struggling, guys, the suicide hotline is 13 11 14. There are services out there that want to help. I promise you, you are never alone. Bye. I hope everyone has a great week.